I invite you to turn back again to John chapter 7 that we read just a little earlier on, entitled the message tonight, The Great Division. Great Division. Let's just unite our heart together, please, in a word of prayer, and you pray that the Lord might have a little word in season for you. Lord, we do thank thee again that we're found in the house of God this evening. We thank the Lord the doors are open, the lights are on for the preaching of the whole counsel of God. And Lord, we bless thee for even the old hymns of Zion that we've been singing. Thank the Lord the crowning day is coming by and by. Lord, we pray that each soul might be prepared for the Lord's return, and Lord, for the day and hour in which we'll even leave this scene of time. We ask that thou would bring us into this passage, give us understanding, Lord, oh, as it were, translate us uh, to be in amongst this great crowd in the last day of the feast, and we might, Lord, hear the words that the Saviour spoke. Lord, give us help this evening. And we pray thou would apply the word by thy spirit. To that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me, Lord, unction from above, that I might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that no soul would go away untouched. Meet with us, we pray. Do us good. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's one word which... The people of this province are not a stranger to. And we might consider it to be the word division. It has been a favorite of commentators describing the politics of our land. It has been a go-to word for ecumenical clergy who get frustrated when their unity plans are scuppered. It's a word on the lips of many over the differences socially and the privileges that set one group of people apart from another group of people. Privileges that people have and others don't have. That's not to suggest, men and women, that this word is not used or seen in other countries or places. Of course it is. A quick glance at the news bulletins will remind us that throughout the world tonight, There are divisions, divisions in social standing, divisions in some basic requirements for life as water and food, divisions in ideology with tyrants desiring to take to themselves lands that don't belong to them or are not theirs by right. There are divisions. Wherever you would seek to go in this world between one group and another. And of course, that is also playing into the, what the Savior taught in Matthew 24. There'll be wars and rumors of wars in the last days. There's divisions because of sin. But tonight, I want us to consider something that divides men and women and young people in an even greater measure. Greater than the politics or the allegiances or the ideas of men and women. And that is what we find in this passage that we've read together. 
The Savior here is found in this passage. He's found to be speaking in the temple and we're told during the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. It was an important festival. It was an important time. And the people would have made it their business to be in Jerusalem for this feast. And yet he was to stand forth in this last day. A feast that lasted all week. And upon that last day, he cried unto the assembly of people a great gospel invitation. You will find it in verse 37. He says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, of course, that's might seem to be out of place when we just read it like that. But remember there's a significance there. And the significance is that during that feast, one of the things that the Jews would have done would be to pour out the water. They poured out the water because it was a reminder of how God provided them with water during their wilderness wanderings. And the water came out from the rock. And they had water during that time where they were in the desert places. And here's a feast now, centuries on, and they pour out the water. And the Lord stands and he says to them, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The invitation was in earnest. The invitation is in love. For he cried unto them. It was an invitation for any man, whether rich or poor, whether young or old, whether Jew or Gentile, any man that was thirsting over life, any man or woman that was thirsting over the state of their soul, thirsting of the things of truth, thirsting of the things of righteousness, thirsting to know God's blessing upon them, thirsting for the work of God to be done in their soul. The invitation was for them to come unto Christ. Why? Because he's the fountain of living waters. He's the giver of all comfort. What an invitation. What a message. That was preached that day. And you know it's the same gospel message that is preached to this evening to the, to the sinner. But I want to tell you that the one who preached it is the great divider. I want to base my message upon a few verses but if you want one text it would be verse 43 so there was a division among the people because of him there's the great division the great divider you'll notice first of all the deliberations as the ordinary people heard the Savior speak, remember it's the last day of this feast. They were soon to become engaged in what he said. It's always good when a congregation takes the word that has been preached and they meditate upon it at a later stage. It was true of the believers in Berea 
We read of them in Acts chapter 17. In the words of verse 11, Paul had been to Thessalonica, but he comes to Berea and he says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They just didn't take it to themselves. Oh, it must be right. But they took the scriptures that they had heard preached and they were to search the scriptures themselves and they did it daily on a daily basis it's always good when the people of God when the congregation hear the word preached and then meditate upon it again at a later time and here were a people congregated before the Christ of God and their deliberations centered around who he was look at verse 40 Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, the saying that I brought to you in verse 37 said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. There was a sizable number of them. It says many. And they believed that this was the prophet. And a true prophet is one who receives the word of God and who delivers that word unto the people. And hence they thought that Christ was the messenger who was promised to come. Where did they ever get such an idea as that? It wasn't merely because these people had seen him do miracles. You will be aware that the same was been uh, noised abroad. You turn back even to chapter 6 of John and the words of verse 14. Here were a people who witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 and the great multitudes. Look at verse 14 of that chapter. It says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle of Jesus, did say it, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. They too were found speaking about the prophet that should come. But if you want to see what led them to consider that Christ was God's prophet and messenger who should come, then we've got to take ourselves back into the Old Testament scriptures. Remember, that's all they had in those days, just the Old Testament. Here were a people who at least on the outward appearance knew the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I'm going to read just two or three verses here from verse 15. And Moses is speaking. He says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto me unto thee and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name I will require it of him and men and women when you read those two or three verses there that Moses imparted to the children the nation of Israel your reading of Christ it can only speak of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, Moses is found to be speaking. He's a prophet of God, delivering the message that God had said to deliver to the nation at large. And the promise was of a prophet that should arise from among the brethren. And the words that he spoke would be from God. 
And those who would not hearken one day, they would have to give an account. For God would require it of them. And that's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from among the brethren, from the tribe of Judah. It behoved him, we read in Hebrews, to be made like unto his brethren. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And Christ came to speak words of life. He said, I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. But the question that I ask to you this evening, have you taken heed to his word? Do you believe that Christ is the prophet? That he is God's messenger. There were many this day who were correct. When they recalled the scriptures. And they believed that this was not just a prophet. But the prophet. The very messenger of God. But you know the sad thing was this. That although they believed him to be the messenger of God. Yet they never believed his message. But look again. And you will see that their deliberations went further. You consider verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ. They didn't look upon him as a prophet. But they believed that he was the Savior who should come. This was the Messiah. This was the very anointed of the Father. And you will appreciate that this was something that especially the Jew were expecting. They've only got to look at the opening chapter of John's Gospel to hear what Andrew was to say to his brother Peter. He was confident that this was the Messiah. We have found the Messiah of whom the Scriptures spake. He was confident that this was the one spoken of by the prophets who should come. And that confidence wasn't ill-founded. This indeed was the Christ. Nathaniel started to doubt. You remember he went to them. And he told them the same message to Nathaniel. And he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And they simply said to him, Nathaniel, come and see. This indeed was the Christ. Come into chapter 4 of John's Gospel. And again, the same expectation is expressed. This time by the woman at the well. John chapter 4 is found talking to the Lord. Verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. So here was something that was oft on the lips of the people. And there were some there that day in the temple and their deliberations were concerning this stranger of Galilee being the promised Messiah. And yet the tragedy in it all is that although some of them believed that this was the Messiah, this was the Christ, the Christ of God, yet they never received him. But look again at the end of verse 41. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? You'll see as soon as this great truth was stated, this is the Christ. That there were others. And they immediately contradicted that. They immediately argued against it. What we might say of these was, they just believed he was a man. 
Their language suggests that they knew the scriptures. They understood that the Messiah should come out of the house of David. They knew from the little prophet of Micah uh, that the place that he should be born was Bethlehem of Judea. And so they reasoned, how could he come out of Galilee then? They displayed a slight knowledge of the book. But the reality was that they didn't know anything of the person nor of the history of Christ. Had they made an inquiry of Mary? Had they even spoken to his disciples? Had they even consulted the register of Bethlehem? Then they would have come to the understanding that this indeed was Christ. This indeed was the Messiah who should come, who was born in the city of David. They had many deliberations. And my friend, they are so like many today. For you might believe that Christ is God's messenger. You might have an understanding that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah who has promised to come. You might have a knowledge of his birth and of his upbringing and of the fact that he is God manifest in the flesh. It's possible to be in possession of all of those great truths and yet still not know the Lord as your own and personal Savior. A good opinion of Christ is far short of a lively faith in Christ. Many give Christ a good word, but they give him no more. Let me say this, that you even know the Scriptures off by heart, as were taught to you in your Sabbath school days. And that's a good thing. No better thing can you commit to memory in God's precious word. I'm glad to say that when our Sunday school reconvenes again in our Bible class at the start of September, we still teach the children the catechism. We still teach the children God's word. We don't bring them in for a little time of fun or what they got up to in the week that has passed. We still teach them the scriptures because it is a living word. And you might have that word in your heart tonight. You've committed it to memory. You might be able even to recite the scriptures just as these people did. And yet it might be, it might be that I'm preaching to someone and you're still in ignorance of God's salvation through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this evening, do you know Christ personally as one who has saved your never dying soul is in all your deliberations of him? What think ye of Christ? What think ye of him? These people had their deliberations. But you know, the other thought that I want to leave with you tonight is, there's the divider here. There were divisions among the people that day. But you will look and notice who they were divided over in verse 43. We've read it to you. So there was a division among the people because of him. Because of him. And in a day of apostasy where there's a falling away from the truth. And where sound doctrine is no longer endured or desired. The cry is for unity. No matter what the historical doctrinal differences may be. The church of Rome tonight would love to wipe out the Protestant Reformation. 
where the truth of God's word was rediscovered. And the ordinary people were to come to the knowledge that they could be justified by faith in Christ alone. And they had the scriptures in their own language. People could come to the knowledge that they could have saving faith through the finished work of the cross. We often refer to that text of Luther, Romans 1 and verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We could also go to Romans 5 and 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romanism to this day doesn't like that. And she has bitterly engaged herself over the generations to cloud over those great truths. And she has succumbed in many ways with so-called Protestant denominations. Because of the shared objective of unity at any expense. Those doctrines have been set to the side. Common ground has been sought on what are but social issues of the day. And we can say that we are in agreement with many dear Roman Catholic people where those things are concerned. The ordinary Roman Catholic is against abortion, killing the child in the mother's womb. They're against all of these things that have come in, or most of them that have come into our province. We can, we can say, yes, we, we're in agreement with those things. But that's not the ground of any unity. The cry for unity at whatever cost, the bringing of people together in those things that they agree upon, and hence we have today peace, peace where there is no peace. But I want to tell those You have been deluded by such that such unity is not of God. And while there may be a twisting of the scriptures so as to justify one's end, the Lord never said that he came to bring unity or peace to this world. Indeed, the very opposite. I'm going to bring you to a verse that might startle you. A verse, of course, that these ecumenical leaders will never quote. Luke chapter 12 and verse 51. The Lord's speaking. He says, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. I tell you, nay, but rather division. Underline that. The Lord didn't come to bring peace on earth. There were those in his day, the Pharisees, for example, and the Sadducees. They didn't believe the great truths of the gospel. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. The Lord says, I'm not come to give peace on earth, but rather division. You see, men and women, Christ is the great divider. So and so it proved to be upon this last day of this feast in Jerusalem. There was a division because of him. And there still is division because of Christ to this very night. And there may be a division even in this very congregation because of him this evening. Can I suggest to you how he's the great divider? Christ is the divider in life. I read in Hebrews chapter 7. And the words of verse 26. 
It's a great passage that speaks about his priesthood. We have considered he's the prophet, but he's also the priest. He's also the king. Verse 26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He's the Holy One of God. He's the one in whom there is no sin and he could not sin. He was virgin born without the taint of man's sin upon him. Christ was one who when upon this earth did not partake of the plans and pleasures of sinful men. He lived a righteous life as one who was a light in the midst of a dark world. He's separate from sinners. He's holy, undefiled. And understand that Christ is still the divider in life. For he went on to speak, even in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, of the division that there would be in the homes because of him. Luke chapter 12, verse 52 says, For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. There's division there. There are those who are saved in the home. They know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They would have been born again of the Holy Spirit. They're lights in this world. For Christ has brought them out of the darkness of their sin into the glorious light of the gospel of saving grace. And that invariably means that there's a division in the home with those who are still unsaved and in their sin. There's a division maybe in your home tonight. A division between daddy and the children, or mommy and the daughter. Where are you this evening in terms of that division? Divided because of him. Let me ask you, what side of the division are you found? Are you one that is seeking to walk in the light as he is in the light? Or are you still in your sin tonight, serving your old master, the devil, on your way to that eternity in outer darkness and that furnace of fire where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth? Christ is the divider in life. Men and women, young people, but you know, Christ is also one who divides in death. It was evident upon Golgotha's brow. For when you come to the cross of Calvary, as Luke in his account, as all the Gospels do of course, but Luke's account chapter 23 and verse 33 tells us where he was. It says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. It's simple, isn't it? You see, Christ divided even in his death. He's on the middle cross. And in that death, he divided between those two thieves. The thief who repented, who said, who cried out in the very eleventh hour of his life, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. 
He looked by faith to the King of Kings. And the Christ of Calvary, the Christ of God, said in reply, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. For there's a division between him and his co-worker in crime. Because that thief on the other side died as he lived, a rebel. And one who reeled in Christ. One went to a lost eternity. The other saved by looking by faith to Christ of God. In the eleventh hour, he went with him into the glory of his kingdom. Christ divided in his death. And so it is to this night. You see, I can give you both references for both cases. I can think of Revelation chapter 14. There we read of those who die in Christ. Verse 13 says, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Those who die in the Lord. That's a lovely phrase. It's a lovely way to describe your passing. That man, that woman, that young person died in Christ. Because you see, if I come out uh, over to John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 21, we have another description. And said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. There's a division in death. Those who die in Christ. And they live forever. But there are those who die in their sin. And where they go to, Christ will not be. For it's a Christless eternity. It's the place called hell. There's a division in death, men and women. Not everybody is going to heaven. And one day there shall be a great division in the graveyard. John chapter 5, words of verse 28. The Lord again is the one speaking. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The graveyard looks well. But you know there's a day coming when the graveyard will be wrecked. The Lord comes back. And there's going to be a division. For each one will hear his voice. All that are in their graves. Doesn't matter whether their dust is scattered. They'll rise. One unto the resurrection of eternal life. Others unto the resurrection of damnation. I wonder which are you facing tonight? I'm further reminded of that division when Paul writes to the believers in the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Listen, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
There it is again, the dead in Christ. They'll rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be ever with the Lord. God's people will still be in earth when the Lord comes back. God's people, the church, will go through the time of the tribulation, you see. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. Is that the hope that resides within your breast tonight? All because of what Christ has done for you. I tell you, there's a great division in death because of him. And Christ is the great divider in eternity. There's coming that day when all nations shall be gathered before him and he shall divide them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. That'll be the separation of all separations. And the Savior is found to speak of that in Matthew chapter 25. In the words of verse 31. And the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. There's a division. To those in the right hand, he shall welcome them into the kingdom of his Father prepared from before the foundation of the world. Those who were saved. Those who knew the Lord personally in that relationship by saving faith. And unto those in the left hand he shall say something different. Depart from me. And they shall be cast into everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and for his angels. You see men and women the great division is summed up in the very last verse of that chapter of Matthew's gospel. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. How dear soul understand that Christ is the great divider. All authority and judgment has been given unto him. And upon that great and final day, he shall make a division which shall be for all eternity. Fathers divided from their sons. Mothers from their daughters. Family members from each other. I wonder upon what hand will you be found? On the Savior's right hand or on the Savior's left hand? Are you among God's people redeemed tonight with precious blood and numbered amongst that great throng that shall worship the Lamb? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Our dear loved one, are you still in your sin like these people were whom the Lord was speaking to? They might have had a certain knowledge of Christ, but at the last they were all found in the one company as enemies to Christ and to His, His truth. What a tragedy. If the same should be said of you tonight, 
Are you one tonight who's lost in your sin and yet you're seeking and you're thirsting for that satisfaction and that happiness and that joy? Then, my dear loved one, I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what age you are tonight or what social standing you might be in. But look away to Christ by faith. Repent of your sin. Embrace him as your Lord and as your Savior. And then you shall know the truth of Romans chapter 8. In verse 38, and with this I finish, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Romans chapter 8, it starts with no condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with no separation. Not not a great thought. No separation. Nothing shall be able to separate the child of God from the one who is our prophet, who is our priest, who is our king, the one who has saved us and redeemed us with his own precious blood. Are you in that union tonight? Are you in that place? Have you that assurance that nothing, not even death, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? If you're not, may God bring you by his grace into union with Christ tonight and to the knowledge of sins forgiven. And you can leave this house with the assurance that I too have a home in heaven. You see, men and women, there is the great division. So there was a division among the people because of him. I trust that you're on Christ's side tonight. I trust that you're standing with him. And you know him in that personal relationship where he has saved your soul. If not, I point you to him. If I can be of any help, I'll be here afterwards for your sake. Settle the matter tonight. May the Lord bless his word to each and every soul for his own name's sake. 498 will sing in closing. 498, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. In thine ocean depths its flow, made richer, fuller be. Let's sing just verse 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4, let's stand as we sing it, please. 498, page 377.
Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We praise the Lord that it is possible for an old sinner to have eternal life now, to have that endless life of which the hymn writer spoke about. And, O God, we pray that as we've been brought to the cross afresh tonight and recognize that Christ is the great divider, we pray that Thou might speak to those yet in their sin. We pray, Lord, that Thou would bring them by the cords of love to the foot of Calvary, by faith that they might look away to the one on the middle tree. Lord, that they might receive him as their own and personal saviour tonight. O God, speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with thy blessing. Thank the Lord for thy goodness toward us today. Thank the Lord we can say it was good to be here. Lord, we pray that the best may yet to come. Thou might bless us as we part for a little season. Watch over us until we meet again, where we ask these mercies in our Savior's precious and all-worthy name. Amen.